Each one of us often develops certain spiritual, mental, and emotional default settings. They operate in us quite often without our recognition. Today, we'll be looking at one of these default settings, fear. This message is the eighth in the series, Take Hold of True Greatness. The message is entitled, Choose Faith Over Fear. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Let's grab our Bibles and our teaching sheets as we get ready to study God's Word today. As we're getting ready to study God's Word this morning, let's also welcome all the folks at our Frederick campus and all the folks at universities at Shady Grove. Give them a good round of applause this morning as we're joining together as one church, multiple campuses. It's great to be in God's house today and all the different venues where we're gathering this morning. I want to talk today about learning how to choose faith over fear. We're in a series of messages talking about taking hold of certain things in life and how it's important that you take hold of the right things and the right things take hold of you because the success of your life will be determined by what you take hold of and what takes hold of you. What is the passion of your life? What are the priorities of your life? And one of those things, if you're going to be successful in God's kingdom and successful in your life, whatever it might be, it's very, very important that you learn to take hold of faith. That faith not only is a part of who you are, but it, it, it sets the direction and the course of your life, that you become a person of faith. And so this morning, what I want to do for the next few moments is to share three things with you, three very simple things that will help you to make sure that throughout your life, you're choosing faith over fear. Fear is a bad choice. Faith is a good choice. And so we have to learn how to make that choice day in and day out so that we stay on the path that God has for us and live the life that God has called us to live. I'm going to give you, as I said, three things. And the first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes this morning, I would really encourage you to do so, is you and I must recognize, first and foremost, recognize the presence of fear in our lives. Now, for some of you, you might say, well, wow, Pastor, I get that. I know when I'm afraid. But many times we don't realize how often we're afraid and how much fear is affecting us even more than we realize. In life, we develop what I like to call certain spiritual, mental, and emotional default settings. A default setting, most of you are familiar with that from the computer world. Your computer comes with certain defaults on it. Any kind of technology will have a default system to it. And the default system is what it goes to automatically. It's what's been set up in the factory or something that's been set automatically. That if you don't dig into it, it's just going to be there. And for our lives, there is a default system that many of us are not aware of, we're not familiar with. It's a default that affects us spiritually and mentally and emotionally, and then, of course, affects us from that relationally as well. And that default is a default to fear, that by our very nature, by who we are as human beings, instead of going toward faith, we tend to go toward fear. God created you to operate best with faith. It's the fuel of your life, but again, we have this tendency to orient ourselves by default toward fear. And this tendency goes all the way back to the very beginning of time when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden. And that initial relationship that God has with Adam and Eve in the Garden, it is a relationship of faith. They enjoyed wonderful fellowship one with another. The atmosphere of the Garden was an atmosphere of faith until one day Adam and Eve made a decision. God had told them, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you eat of it, you, you, will, you will die. You're going to experience something of death internally in you. And so he said, this is my command. You can eat of all the other trees in the garden, but don't eat of that one tree. Only one tree, don't eat it. 
Adam and Eve made the decision that they were going to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, you know what happened from that time forward. The scripture says that in that moment, their eyes were open. They were made aware of the fact that they had sinned against God. And there we have what we theologically refer to as the fall of man. And from that time forward, all of us are born into this world under the curse of sin. We live broken and we live dysfunctional. We live with a life that is less than what God originally created us to be because we opened, Adam and Eve opened the pathway in humanity to sin. But when sin came into the world, something else came along with sin, and that something else was fear. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, we see after the sin of Adam and Eve, what happened? Adam and Eve run away from God. They hide from God. God comes into the garden looking for them, and he's saying, Adam, where are you? And notice the response in verse number 10, Genesis chapter 3. So he said, that's Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was, what's the word there? For the very first time in the Bible, you find that word. For the very first time in Scripture, only three chapters in, after Adam and Eve have sinned against God, now fear enters into human existence. And fear now from that time forward is something that all of us carry with us. We are by nature sinners, and because we are by nature sinners, we have a default toward fear. We live in hiding, yes, from God, and hiding oftentimes from our own selves and hiding from other people. We live in a fearful environment, afraid of a variety of different things. And our natural default is that default, yes, of sin, but also of fear. And it is exacerbated in life, this default of fear is exacerbated by things we experience experience. That while we are defaulting toward fear, as you go through life, you will experience things that will make your fear worse. For example, when you experience traumatic events or losses or things like abandonment or rejection when you're going through life, it tends to add to that fear that is already there. Maybe you were raised in a very unstable, unpredictable, volatile home environment, and you grew up with an atmosphere of never knowing quite what to expect, and so because of that, it generated in you a bit more insecurity and fear based upon the default that was already there. Maybe you lived in an environment or were raised in an environment or you experienced throughout your life what I would call fear-inducing, destructive words spoken over you, that instead of receiving blessed words, you receive curses upon your life, and it added to fear well, maybe I'm what they say I am, and this curse rested upon you, and you didn't have the kind of affirmation or approval or acceptance in your life or a healthy affection that you needed. All these kinds of life experiences build on the default that we already have, and while we are, again, by nature fearful, these things add to it, and we enter into our adult world oftentimes with a lot of fear baggage. And there are a lot of us here today that we're carrying a lot of fear baggage with us at the core of our being and in the way that we interact with life, the way that we live our lives. And it's extremely important to understand that you cannot deal with fear until you recognize its presence in your life. Can I ask you this morning, how, how much of an impact is fear having upon you? How many decisions in your life are actually being controlled by fear? How many conversations are laden with fear? How much of the way you live your life is really being impacted by this default of fear and all the elements that have added to it throughout your life experience? You must recognize it. Everybody battles it, and recognizing the presence of fear is the first step in finding deliverance from it. The second thing that I want to emphasize today, if you want to find freedom from fear and live in faith, you must understand the impact of fear. It's not just enough to recognize fear. You must understand what it's doing to you, what it does in your life. 
because you will not address it until you realize the negative impact it's having upon you. See, fear is not benign. Fear is malignant. Fear has this capacity to take over your life. It's a very, very destructive force. And when fear controls you, there are a lot of consequences that come along with fear. I want to share with you eight impacts of fear. These are not on your notes, so you may want to write them down some other place and think about them later and think about them in reference to your own life. But this is what fear does to you. Fear, first of all, shrinks you. It makes you a smaller person. Fear reduces the size of your faith and reduces the size of your life. It makes you smaller. It shrinks you. It condemns you. When you're a fearful person, you live under this sense of condemnation, this sense of accusation over your life, the accusation of limitation upon you. And the enemy has access to tell you what your life can't be instead of what your life can be. Thirdly, it torments you. Fear, the Bible says, has torment. It inflicts pain. Do you remember the last time you were really afraid? Maybe you woke up in the middle of the night facing some kind of fear, and the agony and the anguish of your mind, when anxiety, when you're riddled with anxiety, what it does to you, it tortures you, it torments you, and number four, it binds you. It's like wrapping you up with bindings. It's like putting chains around you. It prevents your movement, it ties you up. And then number five, it contaminates you. When you are filled with fear, you are contaminated. You're soiled and stained and corrupted and infected on the inside. There are a lot of people that make really bad decisions in their life because of fear. There are a lot of people that get involved with other people in relationships that they should never get involved in because they're afraid if I don't connect with these people, they're going to reject me. Or if I don't hang out with this group, I'm going to be rejected by them. And you know what? I know they're doing things that I really don't want to do, but I'm more afraid of the rejection than I am of dealing with what is right in life. And so we compromise. We do all kinds of things out of fear controlling us. But it leads to the, the moral contamination of our lives. There are many of us that have been morally polluted and the root of that moral pollution really is fear. We were afraid to stand up and say, no, we're going to do what is right as opposed to doing what is wrong. Number six, it paralyzes and immobilizes you. When you're afraid, you just can't move. It keeps you unable to function, unable to move forward. It limits you, number seven. And eight, the last one I want to mention here, the eighth thing that fear does, its impact is it infects you, it infects other people through you. See, fear doesn't stop with you. When you're afraid, you pass it on to other people. When fear is controlling you, have you ever been around a person that was fearful and before long you're feeling about as much afraid as they are because they've passed on their stuff to you? And it's true in the, in the family environment. If parents are extremely fearful, what are they giving to their children? They're passing fear instead of faith along to their children. And so it doesn't just stop with us. It passes from us to others. Now look at those things I just listed. It shrinks you. It condemns you. It torments you. It binds you. It contaminates you. It paralyzes and immobilizes you. It limits you. It infects others through you. That's pretty bad stuff, isn't it? I don't want to live that kind of way. I don't want my life to be impacted that way. But that, those are the kinds of things that fear will do to you. And you will only begin to break patterns of fear in your life when you begin to understand its impact on you. And that leads me now to my third and most important point in today's teaching. How do we deal with fear? You attack fear with faith. You attack fear with faith. Fear will not give up ground without a fight. It's not just going to lay down and, and let you run over it. It's going to resist your efforts. You have to attack it aggressively because fear is a soul bully. It's a mind bully. 
It shows up in your life, and if you don't stand up and resist it and stand up and fight it, what it will do is it will continue to take ground. It's not going to simply go away without some aggressive attempt on your part to deal with it. You have to know the antidote to fear. So if you take in poison, you better know what the antidote is, correct? If you're envenomated by a venomous snake, you better know what, what's, what's, what the anti-venom is that's going to cure you. And so when fear strikes you, when you're poisoned by fear, when you're living in this default of fear, you and I need to know what the antidote to fear is. And thank God in the Scriptures He has given us the antidote to fear. The antidote to fear is nothing other than faith. And God designed you to live a life of faith. And I will tell you, faith will rescue you from fear. Faith will rescue you from fear. So we must answer the question, what, what is faith then? Okay, if it's the antidote to fear, what, what is it? And the Bible tells us exactly what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. We're going to read this together from the New International Version as well as the New Century Version. I'm going to ask all of us to read it together loud and loudly together with Gaithersburg and universities at Shady Grove, Frederick. Let's all read together aloud and loudly God's Word. Here we go. Now faith is confidence and what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now the New Century Version. Faith means, together, here we go. Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we do not see it. The Bible says that faith is reaching into the realm of the unseen, into the realm that you can't touch with your natural senses, and it's believing something before you can actually see it. It's actually more than simply believing as we think of the word mentally. It is actually embracing. It's having a certainty on the inside of you before something even comes into reality. For example, when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, and you say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross to save me from my sins, and now I'm going to do what the Bible says, believe in you, because you said that if I would believe in you, I would have eternal life. I put my faith in you, and now in that moment, you lay hold of eternal life. Now, are you living an eternal life at this moment? No, but your faith is reaching to something that you haven't experienced yet, but you already have it. I want to tell you that even though I I haven't died yet. I already have eternal life. It's mine. Why? Because I have it by faith. I have the certainty that if I were to die this moment, I have no doubt where I would go. I'm going to be in the presence of God. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. Why? Because there's faith in me and the promise of God's where there's a certainty on the inside of me. And so certainty is what faith is all about. A certainty of things you haven't even seen yet. A reality of something that has not even manifested itself. It's reaching out into relationship with God and believing Him for His promises. Hebrews or excuse me, Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21, describes faith in Abraham's life. So when God told Abraham that he would give him a son who, who would have many descendants and become a great nation, Abraham believed God, that is faith. He believed God even though such a promise just couldn't come to pass. And because his faith was strong, he didn't worry about the fact that he was too old to be a father at the age of 100 and that Sarah, his wife, at 90 was also much too old to have a baby. Now stop there for a moment. God told Abraham when he was 75, you're going to be the father of a great nation. Now, if you receive the, the news from God that you're going to be the father of a nation and you don't have any children, what do you expect is going to happen fairly quickly? You're going to have kids, right? I mean, you can't be a father of a nation if you don't have 
any legacy to pass the, to, to have for a nation, right? And so Abraham, as soon as he heard God's voice say, you're going to be the father of a great nation. I'm going to make you a peculiar people. He was the father of, of the nation of Israel. What happened was Abraham believed, yes, that's going to happen, but it didn't happen automatically or instantaneously. He goes on for 25 years, and still nothing had happened. And the Bible says when he gets to be 100, he's still believing that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. There's a certainty inside of him, even though he's looking at himself in the mirror and saying, ain't no hope. And he looks at his, Sarah, his wife Sarah in the mirror at, at, at her face-to-face and says, I know there ain't no hope, okay? We're never going to have kids from a natural perspective, but God said. But God said something, and so what God says trumps what I see. Amen? What God said overrides what I feel. What God said overrides what the circumstances look like. What God says is what I'm going to put my faith in. So he said, even though I'm 100 and Sarah is 90 and everything seems impossible, I'm still going to believe God. Verse 20, but Abraham never doubted. He believed God for his faith and trust grew ever stronger. And he praised God for this blessing. Even before it happened, he was completely sure that God was well able to do anything he promise. Folks, that is faith. That's what faith is. Certainty on the inside that you carry with you throughout life events and life circumstances. Great story, Matthew chapter 14. I don't have a lot of time to read this. I'll quickly tell you the story. It's Jesus going out to the disciples. They're on the Sea of Galilee. There's a storm that's happening there, and he's not with them. He's left them uh, to go uh, on a journey by themselves. He see them straining against the storm, and Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Anybody remember that story of Jesus walking on the water? Got the story? Remember it? So he's walking along. The disciples are straining at the oars. They're not making any progress at all. They're really, really afraid, and so Jesus comes walking along on the water. They see him, and they think he's a ghost. They were so afraid they couldn't see Jesus. They were so much filled with fear they couldn't see the master they spent every day with. So they're filled up with fear and Jesus said, don't be afraid. It's me. I'm here. I'm here to help you. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, ask me to come to you on the water. I'm sure that after Peter said those words, he had some second thoughts about what he said. He asked, could, could, could I come, Jesus? And Jesus, what did he say? He said, he said come, come, Peter. And G- Peter, much to his credit, got out of the boat and walked on the water. It was a miracle that happened. Peter is the only human being in history that has ever walked on water. Don't you try it. You will drown, okay? It's not going to work, okay? He walks on water until there's a moment that he begins to look at the wind and the waves and he begins to be afraid. He feels that fear coming back to him. And then suddenly in that moment, His faith was replaced with what? Fear. And the Bible says he began to sink. Why? Because something left him and another thing entered him. He went back, if you will, to the default of fear. And in fear he began to sink. But Jesus was there to rescue him from his fears and to bring him up. Dear ones, what I want you to know today, that Jesus Christ can save you from your fears. Okay? If he can save you from sin, and indeed he can, he can save you from the consequence of sin, and that's fear. He can save you from the default of fear in your life. He did it for Peter. He can do it for you. He can put that certainty inside of you that he is with you. Now, let's talk about how this happens. I want to give you some things that are necessary. I'm going to actually give you sort of a quick list, eight things that you can do anytime you're afraid that will help you to get through any fear of your life. Are you ready for this? 
Eight things you can do anytime you're afraid that will walk you directly through any fear you may be experiencing in your life. The first thing you have to do is this. You have to make the decision, the choice to remember who God is. Remember who God is. Who is God? And the Bible tells us who God is. Who is God? Psalm 119, verse 68 says it this way. You are good, the psalmist said, and do good. Teach me your statutes. The psalmist said, God, one thing I know about you is, God, I know that you are good. And dear one, I want to tell you today that the God that we serve is a good God. He has good plans. He always does good. And I will tell you that he is watching out for you for your good. And when you feel fear in your life, the place you start is by going to who God is. What does the Bible teach us about who God is? We know He is, he is powerful, but we also know that He is good. And that's the beginning point for finding deliverance from fear. I remember who my God is, and my God is a good God. He is watching out for my good, so I can, again, put my trust in Him. Number two, the second thing you must do if you're going to step out of fear and walk a life of faith is discover what God says. If you're going to live a life that is free from fear, you have to know what God said. What did God say that can deliver me from fear? Peter was able to find deliverance from his fear by the presence of Christ and the words that Christ spoke to him. The same is true for you and me, that we have to listen and find, discover what God says. How do you know what God says? You get into the book called the Bible and you discover the promises of God for your life. What will get you through fear will be the promises of God. That's why you need to know God's promises. Notice the scripture in Psalm 119, verses 25 through 27. I am completely discouraged, the psalmist said. I lie in the dust. Notice he, he makes this prayer, this request, revive me by your word. Have you ever been at a place in your life when you were completely discouraged? I mean, completely wiped out, and you were at a place so low you felt like you were lying in the dust. That's where the psalmist was, and he said, God, I'm going to pray one prayer. My prayer is simply this. I know where I'm at right now, but I know what will change me. I know that the very thing I need is your word. Revive me by your word. Folks, I will tell you, the word of God will revive you. It'll get you up out of the dirt. It'll get you up out of the dust. And notice what he says next. I told you my plans and you replied. Now give me your instructions. Just tell me what to do. Make me understand what you want. For then I shall see your miracles. The psalmist said, if when I understand, God, what you're saying, I know that behind your word there will always be instructions and promises. And with that, the power to produce miracles in my life. You can't have faith in God without knowing what God says. Number three, you have to believe what God promises. Actually believe it. Once God says it, you now say, now I add my faith to it. So it's not just enough to know what God says. You have to, for yourself, believe it. I watch people as they go through life, and they oftentimes will come to church or hear God's word on a consistent basis, but they never add the next element to it, their own faith. They never say, I'm going to accept that. I'm going to believe it. See, with every word from God, you have a choice to make. And the choice is, will I believe it or not believe it? And you and I have within our power, the power of the will to choose to say, we're going to believe what God says. The psalmist again says in Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4, but when I am afraid, I will put my confidence in you. Yes, I will, read this with me, I will trust the promises of God, that when you discover what God says and the promises that are in His Word, and I'll illustrate this for you again in a moment, then you say, I'm going to add my faith 
I'm going to trust what God said because I know God never lies. God never lies. God will never, he's good. He has my best interest in mind. I know that he's watching out for my good. This is what he says. Now I'm going to believe what he says and put my trust in it. Then it goes on to say, and since I'm trusting God, what can mere man do to me? When you throw yourself into the hands of God, I promise you, you're protected by the Almighty. You're covered by his grace and covered by his mercy. Number four, say what God says. It's not just enough to believe it. You have to start saying it because if you really believe it, you'll say it. You'll begin to speak God's word from your life. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. We're not keeping this quiet, not in your life. Just like the psalmist wrote, I believed it, so I said it. We say what we believe. Part of what has to happen if you're going to move from fear to faith is you have to change your vocabulary. Now, I'm not, uh, I'm not one of the, 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 the teachers uh, of Scripture that, that, that believes in just this, uh, this kind of strange uh, doctrine of confession, that you just sort of confess everything and whatever you say kind of comes to pass. That's not my, my orientation. But I do believe this. I believe that when the Word of God gets in you and it's a part of who you are, it changes how you talk. It changes what comes out of your mouth because the Bible says whatever's in your heart will come out of, your, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. And so if I get God's Word in my heart, what's going to come out of my mouth? What? See, if God's Word's really here, if I'm believing God's Word in my heart, then I'm going to start speaking God's Word. I'm not talking about just walking around in a crazy way quoting Scripture all the time, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the tenor, the tone, the orientation of my conversation start to change because the Word is in me. That when I'm looking at a deficit in my life at some level, and I, and I have the fear related to that deficit, then instead of going to the fear, I go to the Word of God that says, I know my God will provide all of my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I choose to believe what the Bible says. My God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. And so I believe it, and then what do I say? How does it change the tenor of my conversation? That when I'm talking, I'm, my voice is like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just so afraid. No, it changes me to say, God, I know God's going to take care of me. I'm going through a tough time right now. Yes, I can acknowledge that, but I know God's going to get me through. Oh, yes, things are a little tight right now, but I know that God's going to take care. He's going to supply all of my needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. I start saying what I believe, that my, that my conversations begin to move from the negative to the positive. My conversations move from fear to faith-oriented. I will tell you, 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 you know when you meet somebody who's living in faith, it comes out of their mouth. There's something about the way they talk it has a positive tone to it. Number five, you have to do what God commands. It's not just enough to say it. You've got to do it. A lot of things that will happen in our lives that re relate to faith involve some obedience on our part. Matthew 12, verse 13. Then he said to the man, this is Jesus, by the way, here, talking to a man he's going to bring healing to. There's a man who actually had a shriveled hand, okay? Think with me for a moment. Here's Jesus. He's encountering a guy. His hand's all shriveled up. He's not he's dysfunctional. He does not have the ability to use that hand at all. And Jesus said to him, what did he say? Now think about that for a moment. The guy has a dysfunctional hand, and Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. Now don't you think that would have been a point for a conversation? Well, Jesus, don't you understand my hand is disabled, okay? Why would you ask me to do something I can't do? Why would you ask me to exert effort 
to try to do something that I don't have the ability to do. See, that would have very easily been the way this man could have gone. He could have stepped back and said, I, I can't do that. But what Jesus was doing is he was calling on the man to begin to obey him because when there's obedience added to our faith, that's when the miracles really happen. I watch it with people all the time in the, in the financial realm of life. They want God to take care of them financially, but they don't live according to God's financial principles. Okay? God has a number of financial principles. There are a lot of different things that God teaches us in His Word related to how we are to live our life financially, for example. And one of them involves giving to God, tithing. It involves the way we manage our finances. It involves the way we live our lives. All kind of elements that go along with that. And you can't claim the promise if you're not willing to obey the commandment, right? If you want the promise to be fulfilled, you have to do your part. You've got to do the stretching out of your hand. And the Bible says that when the man stretched out his hand, what happened? It was restored whole just like the other one was. And so there's an obedience that comes to our lives as well in all kind of areas. Number six, the sixth thing that you have to do if you're going to experience a move from fear to faith, you have to trust God's love. You have to learn to trust the love of God. You've got to just go against anything in your heart or mind that tells you that God doesn't love you, that God doesn't care about you. You've got to assault that aggressively because, dear ones, God loves you. God loves you dearly. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love does what? Cast out fear. Because fear involves, what does it say? It involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. One of the greatest antidotes for driving fear out is to come to an understanding that you and I are surrounded by the love of God. You and I are supported by the love of God. You and I are the objects of God's indescribable love. God loves you with an incredible love that you can never even fathom. I am, you are, loved by God. I want you to say with me this morning, I am loved by God. Say it together. I am loved by God. Say it again. I am loved by God. Now, does that mean God loves everything you do? No, it doesn't mean God loves everything you do. But does he love you? Yes, you have to break those two things apart. God doesn't love everything we do because sometimes we do some really bad things and sometimes we do some really foolish things. And Just like if you have kids, sometimes your kids do some really foolish things and bad things. But as a parent, do you still love them? Of course you do. And so we must understand that God's orientation toward humanity is an orientation of love. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so you are the object of God's love. There's not a thing you can do that would cause God to stop loving you. Now, God may hate some of the things that you do, but God loves you and has provided opportunity for your redemption. Remember again today, I am, you are loved by God. Say it again with me. I am loved by God. Perfect love drives out fear. And then number seven, thank God for his presence, his providence, his provision, his power. You want to be free from fear, you've got to become a person of gratitude. You have to start thanking God for some things. Thank God that He's present with you. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Thank God that He is providentially working, that God, when you can't even see Him, God is working in your life. 
Even when it seems so dark and you can't see God or feel God or know where God is, you're in those dark moments and seasons, you must know that our God is a providential God, that He is already by His grace working in your life even when you cannot see Him. And so even in the dark moments, God, I thank You for Your presence. I thank You for Your providence. I thank You for Your provision. I thank You for Your power. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 from the Living Bible. Let's read this together, all the campuses. Here we go. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. You ought to memorize those two verses. You ought to go home this week and memorize these two verses. Don't worry about anything. Instead, turn your worry list into a prayer list. Tell God what you need. But then it makes this, makes this very important statement. And don't forget to thank God for His answers. See, we miss that part many times. We beg God for stuff, but we forget to thank Him for the answers that are on the way. I will tell you that two of the biggest faith words you'll ever speak are thank you. That even before you see an answer to your prayer, you start saying, thank you, God, because I've offered this to you. I've asked you to be engaged in this area of my life. And now I'm thanking you that you are engaged, that you're involved, that you've heard my prayer, that you've heard my cry, that I've released you my worry, and now I've given it to you. I've turned it over to you. Now thank you that you're in control. And the Bible says that if you do this, verse 7 says, you will experience what? God's peace. That faith will release peace into your life, a peace that you cannot even understand. The last point here, number eight. How do you move from faith to fear? You must wait expectantly for God's response. What did Abraham do for 25 years? He didn't get mad at God, said, God, you didn't do what I I thought you were going to do, God. I'm just going to give up on you. No, for 25 years, Abraham did what? He waited, and he waited, and he waited. And he waited. And you know what the end of the story is for Abraham? One day, Sarah, his old wife, and Abraham, the old man, God gave them a son by the name of Isaac. It was an amazing moment that God met them because he waited expecting. He didn't give in to his fear. He did not give in to his doubt. He held on to his faith all of those years. And the Bible says that because of that, there was a response. God responded. Psalm 130, verses 3 through 5. Now, by the way, on your notes, are only I think only verses 3 and 4 uh, made it to your notes. But verse 5 is also very important. It will be on the screen. Let me read it for you. And we'll be concluding today. Lord, if you keep in mind our sins then who can ever get an answer to his prayers? Isn't that true? If God held up the list of all of your sins when you prayed, would you be in trouble? I would, okay. We all would. But isn't it good to know what it says next? But you, what does it say? You forgive. Aren't you glad we serve a forgiving God? It's so great to know that. So when you pray, you come to God with confidence. I know that you are a forgiving God. What, a, what an awesome thing this is. That is why I wait how expectantly Trusting God to help, for He has promised. Let's take a quick review together. What are the eight things that when fear comes knocking on your door, how do you answer fear? Let's look at them together. Number one, read with me. Remember who God is. Number two, discover what God says. Number three, 
Believe what God promises. Number four, say what God says. Number five, do what God commands. Number six, trust God's love. Number seven, thank God for His presence, providence, provision, and power. And number eight, wait expectantly for God's response. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We're so glad that you've given us faith to combat fear. Lord, I pray this morning for all of us that we would be people of faith, that, Lord, there would be something that would rise within us today that would say we're going to nurture faith in our lives. Lord, I pray against the spirit of fear, for your word says that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And today, in Jesus' name, I pray that, Lord, that spirit would be broken from our lives. And I pray that inside of us, faith would begin to rise like never before. Let us apply our faith to all the circumstances of life and learn to walk in your peace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.